One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown will announce their class of 2019 later today. The Rays are getting ready to begin spring training. Is there still room for another player, maybe a closer? And Evan Longoria could be on the move again for the Giants. And he has some problems with the lack of movement in baseball's free agency. We've got all that for you today because we're going to talk with Mark Tompkin, the Rays beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, you know, do you want to be a millionaire? That's right. Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, you have a big choice of air conditioning companies. I'm telling you, you got to go with Millionaire. They're currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on some brand new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. Mark Topkin covers the race for the Tampa Bay Times, and he recently was named the 2018 Florida Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association members. Mark, an organization I clearly don't belong to but need to join. <laughs> it's not fair to have a guy on my staff that's the best sports writer in, in the in the uh, state of Florida. You're not giving us a chance, man. Congratulations on that. Uh, thanks very much, Rick. And, and you know, all, all kidding aside, it is, it is humbling always to be honored by your peers. So that, that's what makes this kind of a cool award as other sports writers in the state vote for it. But in either way, we still are uh, many behind the uh, numerous awards won by the great Hubert Mizell and our staff uh, years ago. So uh, we'll always, we'll always tip point. our cap toward Hubert anytime something like this comes up. No, it's well-deserved. And uh, had you won this before? Because I, I thought maybe you had. I'm not sure. Is this, yeah, is this I, did, a... uh, I did about five or so years ago. And um, I think one, our, uh, one of our former colleagues, Michelle Kaufman, won it uh, in between that period there, too. So it's right. kind of cool. And obviously, it's a big state, a lot of things to cover, a lot of sports writers uh, in the state. So, it, again, it's kind of a cool uh, acknowledgement. No, it's well-deserved, and I, I mean, I think one day we'll see your name on a plaque up at the uh, Pro Baseball, I, I call it Pro Football, but the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Um, well, speaking of that, the Hall of Fame class will be announced uh, later today or this evening. Your ballot is out, as you always put it out uh, on, on this day. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about a, a couple guys, uh, you know, that are uh, most likely to get in. I mean, I think we're, we're fairly certain that we're going to see Mariano Rivera, who uh, would seem to be uh, an easy an easy choice, and of course you you have him uh, voted for as well. Um, some that I'm not real sure about. I mean, it, Edgar Martinez came so very close uh, to getting elected uh, early, you know, just this past year with 70.4 percent of the vote. So, who who do you think is uh, is the most likely shoe ins in, in this class, if there are any? Yeah, well, I, I think Mariano, as you said, and, and it's really almost more interesting in this case. And, and I'm not a person who puts a huge emphasis on this, but it's interesting if he'll be the first unanimous election. No one has ever been elected unanimously. And as you know, 
many of the critics of the system have pointed out if you know a sports writer who has the privilege of this vote couldn't vote for ken griffey jr you know how, how would you not vote you know how, how would anyone be unanimous if someone like he wasn't but there's only somebody who has a case i know one of the writers up in boston has already publicized that he was not going to vote for mariano but he wasn't going to hold it against him he just wasn't going to send his ballot in because a blank ballot or a ballot obviously with other names on it not mariano's would count in theory, quote unquote, against him, but he wasn't going to vote this year, but he felt like relievers don't belong in the hall. There is, there is a, you know, a sentiment toward that, just like the H's, which is a segue to Edgar Martinez, uh, who I did vote for this year. I think he's got a pretty good chance to make it. There's a website that kind of tracks the ballots as writers release them. And, and it's only got about 40% of the total so far. So a long way to go, but uh, it's trending well for Edgar Martinez. I think Roy Halladay is going to make it. And obviously the tragic you know, early end of his life and the plane crash year in November of 2017 in the, in the Tampa Bay area. But I think Roy Halladay is going to make it. I mean, the, the knock, quote unquote, on his credentials would be you know, his period of dominance maybe didn't last as long as some others. His counting totals maybe weren't as high. But boy, there was a nine or ten year period where Roy Halladay was as tough as they got in the regular season and the postseason. And then the, the name that's probably on the bubble, uh, at least based on the projection, the projections, excuse me, is Mike Mussina. He's a guy who's been yeah. trending in the right direction also. And, you know, again, the counting stats and, and maybe even the numbers overall don't jump out at you. But I'm a person who kind of came around on him a little bit. And I think part of the context of that is he spent that entire career in the AL East. And for the people that mm-hmm. don't vote for or don't think the steroids guys, quote unquote, belong, and I, I've got my own thoughts on that, but. You know, he faced a lot of those guys pitching in the American League East. He obviously faced Manny Ramirez a lot. And, you know, he faced some other guys that are really, really good hitters for a really long time. And that was uh, certainly a very tough division to pitch in. Yeah, he did it for a long time. Um, let me let talk about your ballot here for a minute, uh, and we'll go through it just to, just briefly. But, uh, you know, you have uh, made sort of – I don't know if this has been an evolution over the years or not or you've been resolute with this, but but you have Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens both on your ballot. And uh, by the same token, you don't have Kurt Schilling or Sammy Sosa or Manny Ramirez, and maybe for different reasons. But just talk about whether um, you, you had to evolve with the steroid guys and just kind of where you stand with them in general. Yeah, it's – I mean, first I'll say, Rick, is that there, there's no right answer. And, and I think anyone who professes to claim they have the right opinion, everyone else an idiot is, is clearly the one who's in the wrong. There is no right answer to that. Um, where I kind of came around, my thought was, and, and I admit, and I've used the phrase in the column and it's in today's Tampa Bay Times as well, you know, it's a squiggly line that I've drawn. But the line yeah. I've drawn is that guys who fail the test, in other words, they knew it was illegal, they knew there were sanctions, and they still did it and got caught. I won't vote for them. Thus, Manny mm-hmm. Ramirez, I won't vote for. I did not vote for Rafael Palmero. Right. Other guys who have obviously been linked, alleged, rumored, you know, maybe even you know, passively, aggressively admitted it, you know, such as Barry Bonds, such as Roger Clemens, I do vote for them. And, and I have a couple points on that, and I know they're, they're flashpoints with some people. But first of all, it is not a church. It is not a sanctuary. It is a museum. And a museum doesn't only have great things in it. There's people in there who have done bad things. I'm pretty confident, as many others would tell you, there's probably some people that have been elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame who did steroids, who did performance-enhancing drugs, who did other assorted misdeeds that we don't know about. But they're in there, too. So I, I argue that it's a museum, and it's not only for the people that are the the holiest or that follow all the rules per se. I mean, let people make their own decisions. They are two of the best baseball players of this generation. 
The other is, as much as we've speculated, there's no, you know, there's nothing where they've been sanctioned for doing it. And thirdly, and, and this, I mean, I don't know, this sounds, some people say this is a cop-out, but no one is smart enough to know what percentage it had. I mean, some people have said Barry Bonds up until what they think is the point of demarcation when he started wearing bigger caps and it became obvious and his body changed, he might've been a hall of famer anyway, just to what he had done mm-hmm. up until that point. So no one can tell you, no one is smart enough to, to do that science and figure out how much of whatever it was they did impacted their career by such and such. I mean, you could argue that it gave the hitters an advantage, but there were pitchers doing it too. So, you know, maybe they were evening it out. It, it, you know, I, I just don't know. It's a, it's an uncomfortable, messy, dirty kind of period of baseball history, but it's part of baseball history, and I don't think you could ignore who some of the best players of that era was, were. And, and like I said, that, that's the line I've drawn. Some people are totally no one who's ever been rumored they ever want to put in. And, and Chris Archer, our former race player, came out the other day and said something about that on Twitter. And I know there's some mm-hmm. voters who kind of you know surrendered to the fact that nobody really knows, and let's just vote for the best players. So it, there, there is no right answer, and that's the part I probably want to stress for the people that are uh, posting their flaming indignation on Twitter and social media and the comment section on the Tampa Bay Times. There is no right or wrong answer. It's our opinion. We're trusted with the vote. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And you do what you think is right when you cast your ballot. Yeah, I kind of I come down on your side with this. I, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, th- there's a certain amount of, of eyeball test that has to be given, and you know, pre-steroids, you can you can definitely sh- tell where guys' bodies changed and, and the like. But Barry Bonds was still one of the best b- baseball players I ever saw of his era, and so was Roger Clemens. And, um, again, you don't know what percentage of the performance-enhancing drugs, assuming they did it, I think most people agree they did, um, was contributed to that. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, and I understand if you're Fred McGriff or you're some of these guys that by all outward appearances uh, and, and admissions uh, did nothing, um, it's got to be difficult to be, you know, up against guys that frankly cheated, you know, and, and their numbers are inflated as a result. I mean, uh, and, and you voted for Fred McGriff again this year, and this is his last year of eligibility under this um, modern day player uh, scenario. Um, so how do you, like, you know, how do you kind of, how do you feel for Fred by the same time voting for a guy like Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens? Yeah. I mean, I, I could see, and you know, Fred is, has had a, he's over the years, he's, he's, hasn't said much. He's spoken out a few times. I think he's kind of been taking a kind of a low road on it at this point because I think it sure. probably puts in a little, you know, uncomfortable situation on some people that are his colleagues. But it, it, if if Fred McGriff and he's considered kind of the example of guys who didn't use, and I guess to be fair, no one can really say that on the equivalent either. Right. But I think there's a yeah, pretty good yeah. case to be made for that. That you know mm-hmm. he he's a victim of that era. Now is he a victim of people like me voting for other people and not him? I mean I vote for him anyway. Others that didn't vote sure. for him, they say he didn't get to 500 home runs. He never mm-hmm. he was consistently really good for a long period of time, but maybe he never had that great year. He never you know led the league and never led the league by a ton of home runs, things like that. But Fred McGriff's a guy who is definitely you know worthy of consideration i think the fact that the people he's measured up against may have had artificial enhancements is kind of a product of it and and kind of stinks but you know it's like a bad call in a football game you can't do anything about it and he's not going to get in now fred mcgriff has a kind of has a lifeline here and that is in three years he'll be on the ballot for the today's game era committee which is kind of the veterans committee the hall of fame the group that just voted in Harold Baines, which was kind of a surprise, a guy who only got mm. 6% of the writer's vote. Fred McGriff's done 
over 20%. I think he'll probably do over 30% this year. He's picking up some last year votes from people. It won't be enough, but I think it'll show you know, enough to get him consideration when that Veterans Committee comes around and considering this group of players again in three years. Yeah, no, that'll be a, an interesting time for him. And then, of course, just rounding out your ballot, you have Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. Um, Sheffield's a guy I, th- I think should probably get more consideration than he does, right? I mean, he was awfully good for a lot of teams for a long time. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I don't know. I've been accused, obviously, of you know, having a little Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay bias on him, and, and maybe it's because I'm more familiar with his career than some other people. But if you talk to pitchers and you see articles where pitchers are quoted and yeah. you talk about the hitters that they most feared, the hitter, you know, mm-hmm. you ask that, mm-hmm. who would you not want to see in the box with the game in line? Who did you hate to face most? Who were you the most feared to hit? And Gary Sheffield's name comes up a lot. And, you know, that visual image, Rick, I know you have it too. I mean, anyone who's ever swung a bat has that, of the way he would cock his bat and swing his hands mm-hmm. and, and just get ready. And, you know, you just can see that. You think Gary Sheffield, and you see that menacing swing there. And obviously the results were pretty good. So, yeah, Gary Sheffield's another guy who's not going to make it, but he's a guy who deserves more consideration than he's gotten from a lot of the voters. Yeah, it was a, was a really good hitter for a long time, and, and you're right, very feared, I think, by pitchers. So, uh, so the, yeah, the later tonight, then, they'll have the the actual release of who is in the class of 2018, I guess it is. Or is it 2019? Is that what they consider it? I think they call it the 2019 class, yeah, because the, the balloting okay. is announced, is announced gotcha. uh, this year, and then the inductions will be – in July, and our, our good friend Jason Stark uh, is going in from the writer's side, so it'll be a little added touch to the players elected as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, like Jason, like his work, so congratulations to him. On to, uh, before we get to the Rays here in a second, I just wanted to ask you about a former Ray that's been in the news a little bit for a couple reasons. Um, Evan Longoria, uh, who had a very disappointing season by all measures with the San Francisco Giants after um, being dealt there by the Rays, still has $72.5 million left on his on his contract. Fifty-eight million from the Giants. Start with the fact here that uh, there's some some talk now that the the Giants will try to unload him. Do you think there'll be a market for Longoria? It's going to be tough, and it's probably going to require the Giants eating some money because you know we see an obvious trend in the game right now of teams kind of going away from that that veteran player and that longer term contract and a guy who's on the other side of thirty. So you know there's yeah. a lot of you know quote unquote strikes against. Evan Longoria, the Giants have a new GM, a very analytical-minded GM uh, who came uh, from the Dodgers and previously from the Oakland A's. So, you know, I, I could see where trading Evan Longoria might make sense and that he doesn't fit into their long-term plan there and their long-term finances and even, you know, their long-term lineup. Uh, he is coming off a down year. So there's lots of reasons it would be tough. On the other hand, you know, there are teams that would see him as a piece that, you know, is a good bounce-back candidate with a chance to really help them. The money, though, I think San Francisco is going to have to eat some of the money. So when the Rays traded him, it was obviously you know, a huge deal, but also to unload much of the money that the Rays owed him. And I think San Francisco would have to take a hit on the transfer there if they find a taker for him. Yeah, the, the Rays sent the Giants four, $14.5 I guess, when they made that deal. I wonder if, if his status at all affected uh, or, or maybe got into his mindset with this uh, quote that he had um, about uh, on Twitter about the, the number of, of free agents that remained unsigned. He said, uh, for those who didn't see it, we're less than a month from the start of spring training, and once again, some of our games, biggest stars remain unsigned. Such a shame. It seems every day now someone's making up a new analytical tool to devalue players, especially free agents as fans. Why should they 
the value for your team even be a consideration. It's not your money. It's the money of the players that work for their whole lives, etc. Bottom line, fans should want the best players and product on the field for their team. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. He goes, you know, and that's pretty much the the gist of it. Um, analytics is, is, as you mentioned, Mark, a big part of baseball, but there are a lot of named guys, including the two biggest names still remain unsigned. I mean, you, you, ex- you expect to see some movement here uh, as we get closer to pitchers and catchers reporting? Yeah, I mean, certainly you do. And, and just to counter dictate that. And, and yeah, I think there's probably a cautionary tale and, and I'm not sure Scott Boris, the agent for Bryce Harper cares about cautionary tales, but I think there's a cautionary tale in some of the players who last year didn't sign until camps already started. And Alex Cobb will be the example, you know, that jumps out to me the most. I mean, he was a free agent after leaving the Rays, and, you know, held fast to his demands for a big contract. And, you know, listening to the advice of his agent, he didn't sign until spring training started. He got his money with the Baltimore Orioles, but he really had a, a rough year and it's certainly a rough start to that year. I think if you look back at some of the other players who didn't sign until camp started, they didn't have great years either. Now, is it totally cause and effect? Was it also uncertainty? Was it workouts in December and January? Maybe they weren't doing as well, or they weren't on a team program. They were on their own. There were a lot of things different, but very few of those guys had even their average type year. So you'd think even the elite level players would want to get this resolved. I mean, in most baseball players' heads, I mean, the, the Christmas holidays is kind of the point where they like to have everything set for next year. They want to have where they're going, where they're staying for spring training, you know, the guys that have to rent houses. They try to get all that done so that, you know, then they can kind of come out of the holiday season, get into an off-season workout routine. I mean, some guys head down to their spring training camps this time of year. I know some of the Red Sox and these guys live down there as well, but, you know, Chris Sale and David Price are working out at the Red Sox facility already. So, you know, players like to have that certainty and, and not being signed yet is just, there's no positive in that. So I, I would think certainly sooner than later, and it's kind of become this interesting game of chicken between uh, Harper's agents and Manny Machado's agents. Who's going to sign first? Who's going to get this bigger deal? And then there's some other players, AJ Pollock, the outfielder who was with the Diamondbacks is one that comes to mind and Dallas Keuchel from the pitching side that are really good players who are going to get a lot of money also, but you get the sense that some of these teams are waiting to see where the two big guys go and obviously who's spending the money on them to kind of get to that next tier of big-name players. And then there's a trickle-down of, of many, many others. I think there's well over 100 other legitimate big league players who aren't signed yet. Mark, uh, speaking of that, there, there will be some players still available, and I think the Rays are, are that team, right, especially if you look at last year, that are always tinkering. Uh, but you wrote a column uh, in Sunday's paper in the Tampa Bay Times talking about where they are right now and, and their latest acquisition, Avisel Garcia, um, is an interesting guy who uh, you know they're expecting to provide a, a big right-handed bat for them. Maybe one of those bounce-back guys you talk about. But do you generally uh, think that that the Rays that their roster is pretty much set for spring training at this point? And if they did add somebody, are we looking uh, perhaps at a closer or, or just where do you think that would head? 
Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, like I, I kind of wrote in the Times, as you said, Rick, I mean, the, the Rays are never truly done. I mean, there's, there's like done and done done. They're never done done. <laughs> uh, they're always going to be looking for those improvements on the margin and, and, you know, find a guy here or there and somebody maybe even who gets released somewhere else in spring training. But I, I think talking to some of the Rays people, they're pretty happy and pretty confident with what they have right now. They feel like it's a very deep and versatile roster. I do think personally they need a closer. I know they're they're not you know committing to that because they feel like they've got some pretty good young internal options and they don't want to block their path. They're taking a lot from last year. They let these young kids play, and for the most part, they did well. And they're kind of sticking to that premise that you know we don't want to block their progress. We don't want to put caps on what we think they can do by bringing in some veterans to get in their way. On the other hand, you know you can have some really good relief pitchers who can have really high impact for you that don't even you know that don't have to pitch that ninth inning. You can have a guy who's your second or third or fourth best reliever, but has that experience to be that ninth inning guy to get those final three outs. And, you know, I know last year talking to a couple of guys, Chaz Rowe comes to mind where he got an opportunity to close out a game. And even though he's been around for a number of years and has been on some different teams, he said that, you know, ninth inning trying to get, you know, those last three outs, 25, 26, 27 are pretty challenging and it's a different feeling. So I do think that, you know, kind of the musical chairs with the remaining closers at some point there'll be someone left out that won't get the money they were looking for from the Rays, but the Rays will have the ability to offer opportunity and that's something that other teams won't have the Rays, and they've used that pitch before to say to a guy hey we'll give you you know half as much money as you were looking for but we'll give you the chance to run up 20 30 40 saves no one else is going to be able to give you that opportunity so i do think they'll get a closer i i you know my sense is they're also still poking around a little bit and you know, they were interested in Nelson Cruz. The price, I, and they apparently felt was a little higher than they thought. I'm not so sure it was that much out of uh, out of real out of reality of what you know he probably was going to get. But they didn't go for Nelson Cruz. They wanted more versatility. So Avisail Garcia is their guy right now, and they may still play around. And, and you know, it, it kind of fits the way they have it now. But that also doesn't mean they could get somebody and then trade from what they have. I mean, they're still technically in on JT Real Muto, the Marlins catcher. No one in the industry seems to have a good read on this. I mean, he's a really good, impactful player. The Marlins have been talking about trading him for, I mean, all of last year and this entire offseason. And you get the sense from what you hear and, and what you pick up from others that, you know, they've kind of had this moving target and everyone's getting kind of frustrated with what do they really want? When are they going to make a decision? And what are they holding out for? They're not going to get, you know, two or three big league players for him. It's not going to work out that way. They're going to get some younger on-the-rise players, maybe one or two are in the big leagues now, and then some prospects, things like that. The Rays certainly have the inventory if they want to do it. I don't think they're going to overpay, certainly. But if they did something like that, then they would probably have to make another move. you think they would turn around and try to trade Mike Zanino, whom they just got from the Mariners. If they were to get you know, another bat to play somewhere in the infield, they would have one too many infielders, so they could make a trade with one of those guys. So it's interesting to kind of, listen and, and see what unfolds over the next couple of weeks. But I'd be surprised if it's a huge deal outside of Real Muto. That's the one big thing that could happen. Otherwise, I think it would be on the fringe and then maybe a closer. Yeah, it, the, the Zunino uh, signing was interesting. And uh, yeah, you're right. I, they'd have to do something there with uh, with the catching situation. Um, you mentioned, uh, you know, last year, of course, the, the big sort of evolution for the Rays is this idea of the opener. And I think it was born – out of necessity to some point, and some some point it was analytics and whatnot. But now it would appear that they have three pretty solid starters in Blake Snell and Tyler Glass now, and, and you would imagine Charlie Morton. So do they still are they still wedded to this idea? I mean, they baseball has picked this up now, and other teams are going to do this. 
but they're they're comfortable uh, with with using this opener concept, especially if it's only uh, two out of the five starts, right? Yeah, I think that was kind of the one of the flashpoints of, of their analysis during this uh, at the end of last season and going into the off season was you know how many days does it really work? How many days makes the most sense? I think they felt and, and Kevin Cash had said this toward the end of last year that probably two days is the right number because just give mm-hmm. it impacts obviously your bullpen on a nightly basis. It impacts your bullpen the next day and sometimes the day before. Sometimes there's like a three-day impact if you want to hold back from using somebody. I know they say they don't, but we know they do. So, you know, it's really a three-day impact for the one day you do that. So doing it twice, maybe splitting it up with a couple of starts in between or at least one in between to break it up, I think it's going to work. But I do think they're committed to doing it. I mean, if they came into spring training and, and Ryan Yarbrough and Yanni Chirinos both looked like they were going to challenge for the Cy Young Award, and they decided, heck with this. We're going to go back to five normal starters. These guys are going to go seven innings and 100-plus pitches every time, and they're going to be dominant. I mean, they're not going to say, no, we're, that would help us win more. We're not going to do it because we said we're going to use the opener. But I still think that, I do think they still feel the opener is going to be the better way to go, and those guys will be pitching you know, in that similar role they did last year where they come in after Ryan Stanek or Diego Castillo or whomever gets that opener assignment. Before I let you go, um, you know, the, the Rays have always seemed to put when, – when you start with Kevin Kiermaier in center field, you obviously got a good outfield to start with. But then when you add guys like Austin Meadows and, and Tommy Fan, and, and now you have, um, you know, Garcia as a potential outfielder. I mean, this is a really good outfield. Um, but, you know, Fan was a guy that I think is so interesting, uh, Mark, as a player. And you cover him, you know, the, the man of a thousand stares. Um, but not afraid to be a little outspoken. And he may or may not have stepped in it. I don't know with his honesty about playing for the Rays, having come from the Cardinals where they draw 3 million people a year, win or lose. Um, what did, what did, how did the Rays sort of react to, I imagine they weren't, you know, real excited about those comments, but um, is that just sort of who Tommy is? He speaks his mind. I, I think so. And I, I think, you know, getting to know more about Tommy Pham will be a, an education for all of us going through spring training with him this year. And, <laughs> You know, he came in last year, obviously traded on July 31st, showed up August 1st, you know, had a brief interview session. It didn't go particularly well, and then he got <laughs> hurt the next day, and you know, he was out a couple weeks. So he kind of started over again two weeks later or so. And, you know, look, he, he's got a reputation for being very intense. He's got a reputation for speaking his mind. He's got a reputation for um, being very cautious around people he doesn't know. So I think, you know, there's going to be a – I'm not saying, you know, a warming up period and that, you know, you have to like each other, but you know, there's a professional relationship uh, between the media and the players. And for the most part, you know, you'd hope both sides go along with that. And it'll be curious to see, but I mean, I, from a reporter standpoint, Rick, and you know, this as well or better than I do, you, you love a player who speaks. To love it. I, yes. mean, I don't care what he says is popular or not popular, nope. or it makes fans like him more or dislike him more. That's interesting. That's good. That's good copy. That's something interesting to write about much more so than a player who just recites, you know, the company line on what he's supposed to say. So if Tommy Pham, you know, feels that way, and, and if you if you be honest about it and, and you take any partisanship or, you know, your feelings, if you're a fan listening to this out of it, Tommy Pham was right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got to be yep. vastly different playing for the St. Louis Cardinals who are sold out every night. The entire city is painted red. If, you've, if you're a baseball fan and you've never been, to, you know, treat yourself one summer and go to Wrigley Field and Bush Stadium on a, on a nice long week or something and, and see what that atmosphere is like in both those cities. But and I know we both had the pleasure to do that. Go to St. Louis. That's a huge thing. It's an event every night. 
the Rays don't have that. So in a way he was right. And, and, you know, I, I don't have a, and I, I couldn't tell you if I did, but I don't have a specific person I'm speaking of here, but I'm not so sure the Rays hated those comments because no. in a way he kind of, you know, did a little bit of their bidding for them because they know that's the case. And that's part of, you know, the thought process behind the changes to the trop this year, shutting the upper deck and forcing everybody down to the lower level to try to create some excitement, try to create some buzz. I mean, those players, it's a long season and I know they make millions of dollars and I know they play a kid's game for a living. And we've all heard that. And then we've all had those thoughts, but the reality is it's a very taxing sport with the travel, the late nights, the long days at the ballpark, the demands on them to have that energy, the fans provide that energy and that boost. And if you're playing at home and you walk out there at, you know, five 30 for batting practice, and then you walk back out there at six 45 for the game. And there's not much difference in the atmosphere from the park being open to the fans. And before it was open to the fans, it doesn't give you that boost that those guys have in the other ballparks. I totally agree, Mark. And I, I, I have admired the Rays and, and a lot of their players for going about their jobs without, without that incentive. I mean, it really is. They are performers first and foremost. I mean, and they, they react to that stimulus as all athletes do and, and performers do. Um, and I think it's, it's been admirable that they've been able to, 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 to be as successful as they have been um, without that advantage because it is just that. It's an advantage to, to the point where I think they enjoy going on the road and playing in some of those environments just because it's so different than what they have at home at the Trop. And yet last year they had a really, really good record at the Trop and they'd like to make that, you know, a, a home field advantage for them. Um, you know, D rings, C rings, and B rings, and all. <laughs> no doubt so. about it. I think you know Kevin Cash gets some of that credit to manager for kind of, you know, not allowing that negativity to creep in. But I, I do think right. that's only human nature that you'd be like, oh, you know, here we go. What are we going to have tonight? Are we going to hear, you know, twenty people yelling or thirty people yelling? Is it how quiet is sure. it going to be? And you know, where you say when they do play on the road, they do thrive off that. Well, he's Mark Topkin, and you can read him in the Tampa Bay Times, read about his Hall of Fame ballot, and those, that class will be announced later tonight, and he is the Florida Sports Writer of the Year. That sounds good, man. I, I, I am envious of you because it is really – seriously, people don't realize when your peers are the ones that vote for you, that means everything. And this is one of those deals where, where other people in our business uh, uh, have known for years that you're the best that covers baseball, and, and it's finally been recognized again. So congratulations on that, and thanks, as always, for joining the podcast, man. You got it, man. You're very kind. All right, Rick, take care. We'll talk soon. And just remember, we got Rays Fan Fest is coming up just a couple weeks away on Saturday, February 9th. The Pitchers and Catchers report on February 12th. That's just three weeks uh, from today. So baseball is back. And for me and for Steve, I think there's nothing uh, quite like it. We did have some breaking news on the football front. The Bucks are headed to London to play the Carolina Panthers. It'll be a divisional game. Of course, we've known for a while they're a part of the international series. We didn't know exactly where the game was going to be. The dates... And the venues will still be announced later this spring, whether it's uh, Tottenham Hotspur or Wembley Stadium. We don't know that yet, and we don't know uh, what what time of the year. But it is, you know, a divisional game that they lose, which will be, uh, you know, not in the Bucks' favor necessarily because home field means a lot, I think, especially uh, against division opponents. But this is part of their deal to, uh, you know, to host the Super Bowl in 2021. So uh, not like they had a choice, but uh, much better that they'd be going to perhaps London, I think, than uh, than Mexico City, which was another possible option. So uh, we'll be able to talk about that as the week goes on. The Lightning are on their All-Star break, but we got, of course, three of their players headed to the All-Star game in San Jose. And then later this week, I'll be headed over for workouts at the NFL uh, Pro Bowl in Orlando and have a chance to talk with Mike Mike Evans and some others uh, over there about, the, uh, of course, the hiring of, of Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston and all of that. So 
Lots to uh, stick with us this week on Sports Day Tampa Bay. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. We know you have a choice of AC companies, but try our friends at Millionaire. Howard and Sue Million have done a great job. They have a terrific company. You're going to be happy with their service and 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Call them today at 727-862-2100. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great Tuesday, everybody. 